All right, let's talk about commercial uh, bee production. So if you are a beginner beekeeper like I was in 1991 in Keene, Texas, if you are just a um, interested, a hobbyist, then you probably would like to see some honey from your hive, right? So the easiest way as a hobby beekeeper is to take a comb, a piece of comb from your colony, right? Cut out a piece and put it on your plate and eat it with a fork. That's the easiest way, right? Now, that's not very, very lucrative if you were to try to sell it on a plate with a fork to your neighbor, right? If you are in commercial beekeeping, then you are interested to make some kind of profit from your business. So if that is something that you are interested, eventually, as a hobbyist, you will have three, five, ten hives, and you will say, hey, I cannot just eat honey in a comb and squish it out with a fork. It's too hard. I want a few jars of honey to give to my neighbor, a few jars to give to my mom, a few jars to give to my husband's relatives. You know, you, you wouldn't want to do that. So you would start looking around for a small honey extractor. A honey extra extractor is a machine, a barrel-like machine. About, it could be small, this small, that would host just two frames. Come right in, folks, if you're interested. And it will have a handle. It's hand-cranked. And you will put your frames with honey in. You will use a knife to take the capping off so the honey could fly out as you spin it. You spin it, the honey flies out, and there's a valve or a faucet on the bottom of that barrel. You can put bucket, open the faucet, and the honey comes out. That's how it is done f by hobbyists. But if you are a commercial beekeeper, then you will have a few hundred colonies or maybe a few thousand colonies if you, that's your farming, your, your job. You don't have any other job. In that case, you will have to, to hire or buy a semi for your transportation needs. And this is a semi-truck. Can, you can load about 200 colonies on a small truck like this, and you can load about 400 colonies on this semi-truck. So commercial beekeepers, in order to produce lots of honey, will have to have strong colonies. If you have weak colonies, you don't want to pay all the expense for the fuel and for the driver's salary and, and buying a truck if you have weak hives. You want strong hive. What is a strong hive? A strong hive is a colony that is at least 15 or 20 full frames of comb that are full covered with bees. That's a strong colony. And if you have a colony that's strong in May or April, you can take it anywhere to any crop and it will produce 50, 100, 150 pounds of honey. Now, if your colony is a small colony on four frames or five frames, it's about four or five thousand bees. Each, remember, each box, each, each, each story or each box contains about 10,000 bees if it's full of bees. So if your colony is weak and you are hiring transportation, you're paying all the expenses, and it costs about $4,000 to move a full truck of bees like this commercially from Texas, let's say, to North Dakota or to California. To California, probably about $5,000. <laughs> so if you spend that much money and your colony is, colonies are very weak, when you came out to clover fields, your colonies will produce very little honey, maybe 10, 15 pounds. And if you sell all that honey, you won't even recover your expense. So before you do 
beekeeping commercially, you want to do some calculations. Look at your colonies and say, hey, this year I only have 200 weak colonies. Does it make sense for me to go commercially and travel and pay all these big money to these uh, transportation companies? No. So you wait one more year. Make sure your colonies are strong in the spring. They, how do you achieve strong colonies uh, and good health? You, keep, you combine weak colonies together. You feed them in the spring if needed, and they will be strong. Yes. Yes. If you don't collect the honey the previous year, then the colony will be very strong the next year. You don't even have to feed it. So that's another way. Absolutely right. Yes. Good question. One story hive has about 10 frames. But there are different types of hives. Some people now come up with eight-frame hives, and those are very popular with pollination people because the contract for pollination for almonds states that your colony has to have minimum eight frames. So some beekeepers say, why do I have to have 10 frames? I'll build eight framers, and you know, almond farmers will still take me. You know? So you have less expense and still get the same money. So, so some beekeepers do that. They, they have eight frame hives, but standard is 10 frame hive. And then if you have 10 in the first story, you have 10 in the second, 10 in the third. So you may have 30 or 40 uh, frames in the hive. So you want a strong colony. And if your colony is strong, you can ship it. Ship it to, let's say, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, where there's plenty of wild clover. How do you ship them that far? Shipping bees is not easy. <laughs> Mainly, it involves night labor. Why night? They're calmer, and they don't fly at night. In the daytime, they fly around. So you wait until the evening when all the bees came from the fields. Because if you start moving your bees in the daytime, you're leaving half of your field bee out there. You know? So you took off, and all the bees uh, that are field bees are still working, and you took off on them. So you wait until it's dark after sunset you start loading your bees on a truck. If you have pallets, normally a pallet, like a pallet for shipping pallet, you know, you can place four beehives on it and use forklift and just load one, le one level, then take, put another level on a truck, then another level on a truck, and the last level. Normally, it takes about three levels of two-story hives on a truck. Some trucks are, are low riders like this. You see it's a low bed. You can put a few more. So this truck has 400 plus colonies. And when it's dark, and it happens normally after sunset, and you will be working with your forklift and your helpers until midnight probably loading the truck. <laughs> when you are done loading, you will have to cover your truck with something because if you're moving them within one night's distance, then you don't even have to cover them. If you know that by the morning you'll be at your destination, if you're moving them, let's say, 300 miles, you can do it in one night, right? From midnight to six hours, right? Uh, by six in the morning, you'll be somewhere and you can unload them. But it's risky. So what do you do if you move them 2,000 miles from here to California? You cover them with mesh. It's a very thick mesh made out of some kind of vinyl that the bees cannot escape. So basically, they are all running around inside underneath this mesh. Some of them may find a hole to escape out there, you know, some crack. You will lose some bees during transportation, but most of them will stay there. Yes? It's one of the ways to do it, but nobody does it these days. Basically, they cover them with mesh, and in the daytime as you travel, 
if the weather is cold below 50 degrees, then they will stay in a hive. But if it's like, say, let's say it's April or May and you're moving bees and it's hot, they will start coming out of the hives. And basically, they all will be trapped underneath that mesh. And they will run around and try to escape, try to find a way out. But if you pack this mesh and tightly tucked it in, they won't escape. Or very few will escape. They will be running around. If it's very hot, in the daytime, you want to stop for fuel. And you normally want to ask the, the gas station attendant, is there a water hose here? Why do you need water? Because it's hot. <laughs> so you, you spray them. You give them enough water during your refueling time. And the bees will grab some of that water, take in a hive to air condition their hives. So they will cool the hives. They'll feed their babies. Um, they mix some nectar, make some, some honey soup for their babies. And, and they'll survive. But if you don't give them water, um, if, don't give, if you don't give your bees water in the hot weather, if you're transporting them, let's say, in June or July, you can lose all your bees, all your 400 colonies on that truck can die from um, overheating. So you want to stop and spray them with water in a hot time of the day. At night, they would be fine because it's cooling off and you continue trucking at night. It's good to have two drivers. One is sleeping, the other is driving. Because the less time you spend moving them in the enclosed environment, the healthier they will be. If you move your bees four days in a row, there's a good chance you lose 50% of your bees. They'll just die of exhaustion, heat, and all that kind of stuff. There's, um, but if you're moving them in cold weather, they'll be all right. Cooler weather is good for moving bees. Hot weather, not so good. So it will take you probably two days from here to North Dakota and three days from here to California. So the commercial beekeepers will load them up in the evening after sunset, take off by midnight, <coughs> drive next two or three days and unload them during dark time of the day. So the bees, uh, dark time of the day, no, <laughs> night, <laughs> unload them when it's dark. And, uh, and then in the, in the morning, your colonies will wake up and come out and reorient themselves to new location and find new sources of nectar and will be very happy. So that's how they move them. Now, commercial guys always will have a smaller truck because if you cannot put 400 colonies in one spot. That's, no, that, that is not, that's not prudent because you won't have enough flowers around to supply nectar for 400 colonies. So you want to split this load in possibly four or five locations. So you would have a smaller truck with a forklift to unload them, reload them, and move these guys five miles that way to some field and then the other 50 or 100 colonies to some other location. So you'll spread them around about, about 100 max with a radius of about a mile or two miles. So they have enough pasture around themselves. So that's what the commercial uh, folk do. Make sure that the, when you move the bees, the weather forecast is good, uh, that you will be able to... Uh, to have some blossoms there, it rained, because you don't want to move your bees somewhere where there's drought, and you brought the bees and it's drought and there's no honey and you wasted all that money, yes. What about the refrigeration trucks that they can... Uh, Very good. Some, yep, time. that's a good way of moving bees. In the summer, let's say you want to move your bees in July or August, 
you can load them in refrigerator truck, which is temperature controlled. You could set the temperature to 48 or 45 degrees Fahrenheit. That means it will be cool enough for the bees not to come out of the hives. And it's dark there, and, and it's just cool enough for, for you to travel five days in a row. Now there's a disadvantage. The flatbed truck, you can load really fast from both sides with forklift. Now the, the, the refrigerator truck has only one big door in the back. So you will have to have some kind of floor jack uh, forklift type of thing to move them around. It's a little longer process in loading, but it's a more comfortable ride for the bees. So if you have a refrigerator truck to move, you could do that. Okay, yes. No. So another way to move it, you pray the Lord to send you rain as you, as you move them in this truck. You say, Lord, send me some rain. And I'll tell you a funny story. This spring, as I was loading my bees, I started late. And by the time I was finishing loading, the sun was rising. And my bees are not even covered with mash. And guess what will happen? The bees will start flying away, and I'll leave half of my bees behind. <laughs> so as I'm, I'm, I'm just watching the horizon, I see you know, the sun is about to rise, and the bees will start flying out. So I'm praying, Lord, please help. <laughs> help, Lord. I don't know what to do. I don't want to leave these bees. And I hired this truck. I'll pay this money, so I'll have to go, and I'll leave the bees behind in the field. So I'm praying, I'm praying. And as I'm, I'm using the forklift to load them up really quick in a hurry, you know, and as I'm praying that prayer, I look up and I see this cloud moving in. And I feel the first drops of rain. And guess what happens? Mm -hmm. Even in the daytime when the clouds are moving in and it starts raining, the bees are staying in a hive. So I was thanking the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm finishing loading, putting this mash on the top of the truck, and I'm done loading. And I'm just... Oh, great. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> and then we just ship them off and, and we are done. So, yes, rain is a great thing. Pray for rain. Yes. Good thing. Now, when um, commercial guys target the fields that have thousands of acres, if you're moving to a location where there's 100 of acres of clover or 100 of acres of alfalfa and you have 2,000 bees, that's not enough. You want to go to locations where there's thousands and thousands of honey-producing plants and you want to check with the county. And different counties and different states have different laws. For example, in Montana, you have to register at the beginning of the year for your summer location. In South Dakota, it's the same way. You register at the beginning of the year for your summer location. So why is it done that way? It's done that way so if, you, if the county officers look at the map, and they see that all the bees are concentrated in one area, they will warn you and they'll say, hey, it's not a good idea for you to put the bees here, register them here, because there's three guys around you already and, and you will have too many bees in one spot. We recommend you put them here and here and here and here. And your bees will be registered with the county. And the next guy who is coming from Florida with a truckload of bees or from California with a truckload of bees will go to the county and register first. And the county will tell him, well, these spots are already taken, and if you want your bees there, it won't work. It will harm you, and it will harm the guys that already are there. So we recommend this and this and this and this and this location. Now, how do you do that? You contact the county first. Actually, you contact the property owners first, and you ask them, hey, would it be okay, would it be okay if I put my bees on your property? I see you have a few hundred acres of wild clover or sweet clover or you are raising alfalfa or maybe sunflower, whatever. 
and the farmer says, well, that'll be all right. How many do you, want, do you want to put? Oh, this many. Then you go to the county, give this guy's name to the county, and the track, the land track that is marked in the book uh, with numbers, you talk to the county, they say, okay, that'll be fine, we'll register your colonies. After you registered all your colonies, then you can move them in the summer without any problem, because sometimes you want to move and there's already somebody in your spot. But if you register prior in January, you'll be fine. There's another benefit of registering, and I mentioned it before, but some of you were not here, I'll tell you. The another benefit of registering your colonies is whenever somebody wants to spray their crop for pests, they will have to report it to the county like four days before. And then the county will have two days to, to warn you as a beekeeper about the possible chemical spray by the airplane in your area. So the county will notify you if you are registered. But if you are not, your bees could be exposed to all kinds of chemicals that are sprayed and they'll die. So it's another benefit of registering before you go. So in commercial beekeeping, the registration is very important. Not every state requires it. For example, North Dakota doesn't have a law requiring a four-mile clearance, but they, um, they will encourage you to do that. South Dakota demands that. It's a law. If you don't do that, they'll give you a hefty fine for, for not registering. So North Dakota has softer laws, but still you have to check with the county it's for your benefit. You'll know about the spray schedule. You'll know about all kinds of warnings. So that's a good idea for commercial beekeeping. Now, another thing for commercial beekeeping that's important is uh, have an established base. For example, if I come as a Floridian or Californian or Texas-based beekeeper, I come to a honey-producing state. And if you go to a grocery store, Walmart or any other grocery store, Go to your honey section, take the honey, and most likely it will say packed in Bismarck, North Dakota. <laughs> Why? Because North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, those states have plenty of wildflowers blossoming for thousand miles, and most of the honey-producing beekeepers bring the bees there for the summer. So if, if you want to, to, um, to be successful there, you want, um, you want your not just your, your contract or your locations registered. You also want some, some way of knowing where you're bringing them. You want thousands of acres of, of clover. You want to also have a, um, a base that you, you sort of either rent a house or if you are a commercial beekeeper, you probably can afford buying a house, a small farmhouse for about $100,000 or so. That way, when you knock at your neighbor farmer's doors and say, can I put some bees there? He'll look at your license plate and say, no. <laughs> oh, he'll ask where you're from. And you'll say, well, I'm from Texas or from California, or from Florida. I said, no, no, we have plenty of our own beekeepers. Now, if you have a base, perhaps you have a, um, you're renting a house there for the season, or you own some old farm that you bought for $100,000, then you knock at your neighbor's door and say, hey, my name is Vasily Osichuk, and I'm your neighbor. I, 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 I bought that farm over there from such and such person, and you mention the name of that person. And you know, farming communities know each other for 50 miles around. <laughs> so, oh yeah, you bought it from that fellow? Oh yeah, we were buddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's up? You know, what are you up to? Oh, I'm a beekeeper, and I'm looking for bee locations. Do you 
think I could put some of my beehives on your property? And the guy says, oh, sure. <laughs> you know? So I found that by uh, experimenting last year, uh, two years ago, experimenting with this, being a Californian. Uh, people were not very friendly. You know, you're from California, huh? Well, we have plenty of our own beekeepers. But a friend of mine purchased a property there, and we are partnering together in beekeeping. So this year, I went knocking at the doors of different farmers within 50-mile radius, and guess what? I would just mention, oh, yeah, 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 me and my business partner um, have this property you know, on, on this road. Oh, the guy said, oh, yeah, I know the farm. Yeah, yeah. so what are you doing there? I said, well, we are doing beekeeping. Oh, really? Oh, that's great. And I said, well, would you be interested in hosting maybe 60 or 100 beehives on your farm? Oh, sure, no problem. So it works really well to have some kind of base, some kind of, um, if you have an ability to say, I'm your neighbor, or I'm from around here, or at least I do business here, people are very open. Um, but if you don't have that, and you have California or Florida license plate, they will say, nah, we have plenty of our own beekeepers. So that, that's how it works. So that's what commercial guys do. Uh, this summer I met a commercial guy who actually bought a, a honey extraction and packaging plant right there in, uh, in North Dakota. It's a building probably the size of that mass hall where we had lunch. And it has all kinds of equipment in it. And I'll show you some of the commercial equipment that they use. Was that a question? Okay. Some of the equipment they use for... Let me see. Here we go. Um, some of the equipment they use is designed to handle multiple frames of comb to extract honey. For example, this, this drum or this honey extractor is electrically operated, electri electronically controlled. You can set the speed and the duration of time. And this machine can handle like 120 frames. That means that you can put honey out of about, uh, about uh, let's say, uh, five colonies would, would have about 20 frames. Uh, about uh, 20, 20 colonies honey will fit in this drum and you just set the speed. Actually, you set the very speed on the extractor very low first. Because if you start spinning a full loaded frame with honey fast, guess what happens? It breaks because the, 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 the comb is so heavy and you spin it fast, it just breaks and smashes and doesn't look good. So you start spinning it very slowly. So you set the timer and you set the speed, you adjust the speed. Oh, there's automatic regime too. You can push a button and it's automatically starting slow and increasing speed slowly, slowly until the full speed that is safe. So if it spun your comb for about a minute at slow speeds, most of the honey already is unloaded, right? It's already flow flowing down through the tubes into the tank. And then the speed increases higher and higher. And since your comb now is light, it won't break. And you can spin it really high until the very last drop of honey is out. And, and then you're done extracting. Let me show you the inside of these guys. Um, you see all these slits? That's where your frame goes. You put tons of frames here. There's your axle, and you shut the lid. As, as it's spun around, all the honey sort of rains out of the frame on the walls of this tank and flows down the walls in a collection tank and then pumped by a pump in a 
in a tank above the building that will allow you eventually to bottle or put your honey in the barrels. Guess what? These guys do not bottle the honey there. They, they, from here, the honey goes through a pipe into collection, huge tank. It's about 50,000 50, pound tank. <laughs> it's a huge tank. And uh, from that tank, they have another pipe with a nozzle that goes straight into a 55-gallon barrel, sort of like oil producers produce oil <laughs> in the barrels. So they put the honey in the barrels, and then they seal the barrel and put it in storage. Honey can be stored for years and thousands of years without going bad. If it crystallizes, they still can sell it for the same price, and bulk honey is sold for about $2 a pound. So if you have a few few thousand pounds of honey, you can sell it. Okay, that's a question. Go ahead. Room to collect honey or room to live in? Um, both. Both. Okay. Well, let's answer both. Now, to live in, the bees need about a box the size, like a foot and a half by foot and a half would be sufficient. If you can imagine a tree that's hollow, about this much room is enough. A tree this wide, this tall is enough. Now, to collect honey, they need uh, about, um, if it's just one hive, about 50 acres would be fine. If it's uh, 100 hives, about uh, 1,800 acres would be okay. So if you have blossoms, that'll be okay. So these guys, the commercial guys, extract it with these machines, put it in 55-gallon barrels. They call them drums also load them on a truck, and ship them to honey bottling companies. Honey bottling companies will test your honey, check it for pesticides. They will check your honey for quality, whether it has good flavor. They will check it whether it is um, adulterated. Uh, adulterated honey means that somebody messed with it. In what way? They can't add water because the moisture shows up right away. But somebody can add corn, sh corn syrup to it. So they have a refractometer that they will test whether it has corn sugar. They, they, they do a panel of tests that your honey is good, it's pesticides free, it's, um, it's not corn syrup mixed with honey, and if it's not, they'll buy it. They'll pay you and you unload your load and you go home. Then you return back to your bee yards. You collect your bees from all your yards in the fall around August, September because it's getting cold in Montana and North Dakota. <laughs> Even South Dakota is cold. So you put them back on your truck, load them up at night, cover them with mesh, and, or you put them in a refrigerator track, truck and keep the temperature steady at 48, and you ship them where you need. You unload them at night, and in the morning they come out and they are fine, they are back home. Well, they don't know they are back home, but you know they are back home. Because you remember, the life of a bee is about 30 to 35 days, that's all. All right, um, here's another slide I wanted to show you. This guy has one, two, three, four, five, six of these extractors. And he has about 8,000 colonies. So he's into beekeeping big time. He makes about a million a year. And half of that is probably paid in all the fees to all his all salaries and all the payments on this facility that he purchased. So they make the gross a lot of money, but they spend a lot of money too. About half of the money that he produces 
um, he spends on transportation, on maintenance. This machine in the middle is the uncapping machine. You remember that bees cap the honey so it doesn't go bad, so it doesn't absorb moisture. The frame is laid on this, and inside, underneath this hood, there's little chains that are spun really fast. And those chains just barely touch the comb that's laying flat, and they are uncapping each cell like this, just, just scratching it. And the scratched, uncapped frames by the workers at each drama took, uh, um, are basically extracted from this machine, put in the other machine. It's spun by the pipes around here. The honey is pumped in the storage tank up and bottled in these drums right there. Now, there's wax that is produced in the process that also is melted and processed. And you can uh, send that wax for reimbursement. And that's your commercial honey production prairie in North Dakota. All right, I see a question there. Yes. Did anybody go to Southwestern Adventist University in the mid-90s? Did you visit that school? Okay, you did. Good. I did too. Um, in 1991, we had a biology professor, Dr. Chadwick. Anybody remembers Dr. Chadwick? Good. Still there. Still there. All right. So Dr. Chadwick had a colony in his classroom, in his biology classroom, by the window like that in science building. I forgot the name of that building. Scales Hall. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So Scales Hall had a, a beehive with live bees inside. You, can you could come and it had a plastic side to it. You could look at the bees and see how they are doing their work there. Now, how did he manage that? He actually didn't have the entrance opening up in the room, but he put a hose, like a tunnel, from the entrance of a hive that went through the wall, through the glass outside. So the bees did not come out in a, in a room, right? They, from the hive, they went straight through this tunnel hose outside, and they were flying out of the building on the outside. Yes? Oh, the reason they know it's the entrance because you bring them at night, and you put them where you want, and you have one opening. So the reason they want it's an entrance because first they have to exit it from their hive. So they exit it, they fly and do their reconnaissance or the reconnaissance flight, or basically they they learn the layout. They see where the trees are. They orient themselves according to the sunlight, and then they come back, and they know where they came out. So they go straight back into that same entrance. So whatever was exit eventually becomes an entrance for them. So that's how it works. Okay, so the commercial guys aim for some fields that don't have weeds. You see this is thistle. Thistle produces some pollen, some nectar, but this stuff is not as good as, so as, as, as stuff that has, um, has uh, for example, sweet clover. That's what they are aiming. This sweet clover is past its prime. It's almost over, but right when it's in its peak, the whole field will be white or yellow because sweet clover is, uh, comes in both colors, white and yellow. So we'll have these huge fields, beautiful yellow color or white color or intermixed. And they would try to put about 60 to 100 colonies every mile. So every mile along the, the field, they'll put about 100 or 60 colonies, and, and, and they will keep going and just talking to all the neighbors, asking if they could place the bees. 
By the end of the season, sometime in July and August, they'll extract the honey, they ship the honey off, they load the bees, and they will ship the bees off. And then in the winter, some of them will keep their honey at home or in the storage, waiting until the prices will become a little better. Because at the end of the season, in August, your prices would be $1.70, $1.80 per pound. And if you wait until January and February, most of the people already would sell off their honey, and there's high demand and not enough honey. You can say, hey, I have some honey here. What are you going to pay me? You know? And the buyers will say, oh, the bottlers will say, we need honey. So what are you paying? Oh, we'll pay you two twenty-five. Okay. So, and if you have thousands and thousands of pounds, it makes a difference whether you sell it for dollar seventy-five or two twenty-five. So that's what commercial guys do. Um, in, let me see. Let's take a ten-minute break, and we'll do the last uh, segment of our class, and that would be spiritual lessons learned from the social life of the bees. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.